Just even in my life, I tried to just do everything the most efficient way possible. Because the key now is like you've got to that level, and that's awesome. Let's keep you here. In Counter-Strike, so many of the things are in the timing, right? Sometimes one second is way too much. Because I feel like some of my persona in Counter-Strike changed who I was as a person. Oh, what? Jumping double from Cone! Today I'm talking with Ross. Now, Rops is an incredible player in Counter-Strike, and he's also an excellent individual off of the server as well, a straight-A student. Um, but however, I think one of the most interesting things about him is that he was one of the first young talents, first-generation CSGO players, effectively, that broke out onto the scene, onto the professional scene back in 2017. And the nature of how he did that, and we do go into this a little bit, was very interesting as you know he was called out as a cheater his rise was so quick on the pugs that basically gave him an offer to fly to london and to prove that he wasn't cheating so he could just stream from a different system and he did this and proved that he wasn't cheating in fact and the hype around him continued as he now had dispelled this myth that he was cheating and this doubt that he could be not legit and well, he had a debut uh, a performance as a professional with Mouseballs, a pretty big team. And on that roster, they became very successful throughout 2017 and 2018 initially. And he was then rated the 19th best player by HLTV in 2018. And in 2019, he did even better. He was the 10th best player in the world according to HLTV's rankings. Very fascinating backstory. And we go into some of it here and there, as well as how he is so damn good. Now, you may have noticed I've been speaking not just with players or talent, but others whose expertise serves to push the envelope in our continually developing industry. This is The DDK Show. If you enjoy it, subscribe on YouTube, give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, support on patreon.com forward slash DDK Esports, or simply connect with me on Twitter at DDK Esports. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or Twitter, consider mentioning ideas, people, or topics you find interesting. This is still a side project for me, and the positive support really helps. And now, here's my conversation with Rops. All right, Rops, we've made it to the podcast finally. Tried to get you last year, scheduling conflicts and so on and so forth. But um, finally, we're, we're doing it. So thanks for joining me. Yes, it's a pleasure. Um, didn't make it work last year, but happy we can do it now. And I think it's, I think you have a really amazing backstory, like a, a pretty inspirational backstory in many respects. And there's loads of, loads of sort of points I want to hit uh, relating to it. But first and foremost, you know, going towards that scheduling point, I think, you know, one thing that I asked some of your, your teammates, um, past and present, Stiko and Carrigan, is, you know, I talked to them about the scheduling in 2018 during that mouse sports lineup that you were a part of with, you know, Sonny and, and um, Chris J and... Oscar as well. And that team from the outside, the narrative was kind of like, you guys were playing so many tournaments. It seemed like there was a lot of burnout. It made it really easy for teams to prepare against you. And on top of that, it seemed like you guys yourselves didn't have time to really practice and maybe you know innovate on the stuff that you'd already built. So it seemed like that team had a lot of potential. It could have gone further. Is, is that the same kind of thing that you guys feel like was happening? Or do you think it was correct that you guys had to eventually disband when you did? 
Um, I think eventually it was the correct decision, but when it came down to the mid-season, I feel like if we um, if we did our schedule accordingly, like a lot of teams do nowadays, then the roster could have lasted a lot longer for sure. We had a lot of burnout issues and people started to lose motivation. And on top of that, obviously having no practice at all and not coming into events with any new stuff was really tough. So it was always, you know, the same type of mouse sports. We started to get really stale. We didn't really reach finals at one point anymore. We just started to go playoffs and go out of playoffs. And like, that was just kind of the the road last, uh, or in 2018 with the, uh, the last roster. I think if we had less tournaments and more time for the team, then I think the roster could have had more potential. Like we... Got a few tournament wins, and I think we definitely could have had more than that. I felt like we were really strong at one point. Yeah, I think the, the scheduling was like one of the biggest reasons the roster uh, started to fall out in the end. And things are generally, you know, more comfortable now. I think you know, with the advent of these leagues going to more of an e-league type structure, where everything is kind of played in LAN, you jump in for a week, and so on and so forth. Less online play. Is is that making things feel a little bit easier for you guys? Is that a huge game changer in how it's playing out so far? Um, it's hard to say as a team because I mean personally, I, I really actually really like to um, travel a lot and play events like back to back and stuff like this. But there's obviously different kind of personalities in our team. It might be really good for me, but other people would like more time at home and uh, like to space out the events. So everything feels more natural in that way. But on a team perspective, um, it's definitely better since you get more practice, you get to plan things way better. I'm not sure if uh, how the schedule looks like for the whole year, but we have a way better idea than it looked like before in the, in the previous few years. So it's definitely a game changer in that sense. It's definitely good to see that there's been evolution with that into a more sustainable but a more sustainable situation for the players and everybody involved as well as the production staff and whoever else mm-hmm. is flying around all the time. Um, but uh, going back to that Mouse Sports 2018 lineup a little bit, it's what was really cool about that lineup, I think, is that it, it was such a fan favorite lineup. I actually think that you guys have recreated that kind of feeling with the current team that you have. It just feels like there's all this personality. Every player has has just so much character to them. Very, you know, just like every single player, you, you know, just there is, like if you look at, Let's say Woxic now, for example, like he's obviously a very flashy, a very you know clutch orper. He's got really fast, flicky sense. He's he's got a personality to him. If you get him on an interview, on a camera, there's a lot going on there. Carrigan's the same, even though Frozen is a little bit more you know reserved than the camera. You know, everyone is so easy to characterize, and it's such a cool story once again that kind of bringing these players up and giving them a chance, and it's just kind of working out. Of course, it wasn't always like that. Obviously, it took a while for things to get going, but. But both Mouse Sports lineups had so many cool characters on them. And I think if we look back at you know, Oscar and Sonny as, as well, very flashy characters in their own rights. Um, do you miss playing with, with some of those guys like Sonny and Oscar and Stiko and so on? Um, well, I was spending a lot of time with Sonny since I, I was the roommate with him in the, in the tournaments, in the hotels. So I guess I miss him the most because I actually learned a lot from him. Um, I said this in my Hatred TV interview also for this year that um, actually Sonny inspired me a lot 
during uh, during the time we were playing together, he was giving his best like all the time. Like, when we had this tough period where we where we were changing Stiko for snacks and changing back Stiko for snacks, and then we we kept just not reaching finals, but going out in in like a top four, top or just like on a playoff um, note in general, and just losing the tournament at that point. Then we all lost some kind of motivation. But you know, Sunny, he was really inspirational for me because he kept doing his best. Like he didn't really stop playing. As most of us did. I mean, it's not like we all stopped playing, but we started giving not our best, I would say, but just um like you know, just like another day in the office, but not really doing your best. But Sonny, I think he went through thick and thin and he always tried his best, always played the most, always gave the most ideas, new new propositions, whatever. I think Sonny in that sense I could miss the most. Since uh, yeah, I just had a really close connection with him, and he's also he lives really in, uh, near my country, obviously in Finland, and our like languages are quite similar in that sense. Uh, Estonian and Finland, Finnish, I mean, um, are very similar. Like you could kind of understand if he's speaking Finnish to someone, I can understand what he's saying. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really it's interesting actually that you bring up uh, Sonny because uh, did you did you buy the Gucci slippers because of Sonny? He's got quite a flashy streak in him. With the Philip Klein shoes and so on, <laughs> I never uh, wanted to really buy like Gucci or any of those kind of shoes. You know, like you know, like typical. I don't. Know, I just prefer something like Vans or <laughs> not so flashy. <laughs> um, even though I I bought the Gucci slippers, I actually hate them because they are so uncomfortable. They just have the Gucci logo. Really? <laughs> yes, I, I was wearing them to a vacation, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm going on barefoot." But I just can't take this anymore. Wow, that's that's the one thing I would have actually expected, no matter how they look, is that they would be comfortable. That's a uh, well, I guess I won't be buying any Gucci slippers myself. Either way, um, another interesting uh, you know thing in terms of Sunny is that, and and parallel I would or comparison I would draw with him and yourself is that you're both actually very mechanically skilled. Like it's very clear that both of you spend a huge amount of time and effort in making sure that your mechanics are very sharp. And in particular, whenever I watch Sonny in the past, I was always blown away. Like I could tell that the guy has a great work ethic just because he has like no wasted mouse movement whatsoever. It's very clean. And obviously he's very, his, his skill ceiling is incredible in terms of his mouse control and his ability to, to frag in that way. And that's also something that I think that you've made a name for yourself in as well. Like, you know, you've got a very distinct style of play in terms of your mechanics and you're very consistent. Was that, um, I mean, obviously I doubt there's you know, much of a connection between you learning uh, your mechanics from, from Sonny, but, but how is it that um, you, know, you generated such great mechanics and how do you stay consistent with those performances? Um, well, to start with the mechanics then, I mean, I have a very historic part from uh, like in the movement scene in CS from Creed's KZ in particular. I've played a lot of KZ uh, in my time that I played 1.6. Uh, basically, when I started playing with CS, it started with KZ in a sense, and like I've been grinding ever since. I find KZ like a thing that is very uh, stress relieving. It's like I don't know if you've ever tried this, but like you know, movement stuff like surfing, KZ. It's you just focus on the on your mechanics and like you don't think about anything else, and it's just 
it just help uh, help you thoughts in that sense. And I got really good at that uh, during the time. I think I have like four thousand hours in one point six, and most of them is like KZ. So that's where kind of my mechanics come from. But I think in general, if you if you look at Sunny also. He also puts in like astronomical hours into CS, so I think all of that just comes how much you actually play the game and how good you f- start to feel the game. Like you know how the movement works, and like you you know you cannot mess up, and all of that comes from hours, I would say. Yeah, and, and uh, another point about um, Sunny. Actually, I don't make this too much about <laughs> Sunny this entire podcast, <laughs> but but. Uh, uh, obviously, you know one thing that that happened when he uh, left the that mouse sports lineup. You know, he went into into the ends team. Obviously, um, you know, Alexi B came out and so on, and that team didn't end up, end up doing too well. Like, how do you sort of look at um, Sonny's career since he he left mouse sports? Obviously, you know, he hasn't reached the same heights yet. Um, well, since he left mouse sports, I know for a fact that he's he's feeling better. In a in a way that, um, or if you compare it like to the moment where we started to really um, struggle with our uh, last roster in Mossports, he's he's definitely happier in that sense because he wasn't happy at all when um, when we had our struggles and the team started to fall apart. So I know that for a fact, but I mean, obviously, I haven't talked to him that much. But I guess taking his like performances with the team and He's not reaching any uh, any new heights as of now with his Finnish uh, friends, but I know for a fact that yeah, he's like he's definitely happier than uh, what we had going in the end. That's obviously great to hear. But why do you think it is that it's not working out so far in terms of results um, for him with his team? Actually, I have no idea. I mean, obviously, everyone could say yeah, it's uh, the the IGL. That uh, switched in the end, but I don't know if that plays that big of a factor. I wouldn't say it does, because I think Alu and Sunny, they are great leaders in their own ways, and they can always make it work. I think they, their confidence took a big hit after all, all these. Um, after they basically get memed online, I think some of some of it started to go in, get into their heads and. It's possible, you know, that that might have uh, impacted their performances. Yeah, yeah. Talking in specific, I actually don't know why they're not getting uh, their desired performance. But um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't blame it on the IGL part, though, because I think that's not so true. I mean, obviously, their performance could have also taken a big hit if LXCV was still the IGL there and Sunny joined for someone else. So I wouldn't really blame it on that. Yeah, it's a really hard thing, isn't it? Counter-Strike is so complex and even just, you know, switching roles, even if you had the same players, can, you know, have a vastly different result. It's but someone I guess has to go on the chopping block, and I guess this is how the community views things. And and uh, that's that does suck for for certain players for sure. And and you know, speaking of 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 which, you know, another person that hasn't really managed to land on their feet out of that roster was Oscar. Uh, you know, Oscar's kind of disappeared. He's been Kind of gone from the the you know the top level and and the crazy thing is that on the on that 2018 mouse sports lineup he was looking like one of the absolute best players in the world you know <laughs> he was incredible in terms of warping at the very least so you know what's uh, do you have any insight into you know what what happened with Oscar because obviously he is still out there trying to play competitive CS 
Yeah, um, I think the biggest part in that is just opportunity and what teams actually are out there. Since um, Oscar isn't the type of player who would go to NA. And if you don't go to NA, then in Europe, they're obviously the best international teams. There are only FaZe and Mossbars. And if you don't join either of them, then you're basically stuck in the lower tier of teams like HR. VIG was international for quite some time. I'm not sure, obviously Sprout now where he's at. So he's kind of stuck in into those kinds of teams. And yeah, I mean, there's nothing much to do, I guess, since if you're not in either of the best international teams in Europe, then you don't have many more options. Is that something that, let's say, the circumstances demanded that, you know, for you to play or to have your best chance to, to compete at the top level and you would have to move to North America? Is that something that you would ever consider? Well, in the start, it was definitely a possibility since like the first ever offer I, I got was from Liquid. It was a tryout period. But um, right after I got that, Sports came with offers. So things worked out in that way. But um, if I talk nowadays, then I think it's a tough say. I mean, I'm not even sure how the leagues are going to play out in, in the end. So a lot of things are also evolving. But... As of now, I wouldn't join an NA team if I have an opportunity here in Mouse to play from home and to play for a top-tier team. So I think things are uh, looking good as they are now. Yeah, that very fair point. I mean, it's it's really interesting, um, all of the uh, opportunities that surrounded you, it felt like, when you were coming up as a player. <laughs> and again, for those people that don't know, there was, like, you know, of course, you know, you're, you're, uh, how long have you been playing uh, Pro CS now? Like, what, uh, three years? Uh, yeah. Um, it's been 34 months since I joined Mossports. I'm, I'm almost coming up on three years in Mossports. And and you're 20 years old too, right? I got that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. As of right now. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of crazy because when you came up, super young player, one of the things that really distinguished you um, beside the... Uh, you know your mechanics, which were fantastic, of course, but it was it wasn't that really because there was a lot of young players that could show really good mechanics. You know, for example, when let's say you know Twist first came up on the scene, for example, obviously he's a fantastic player, but but at the time, you know, that's really what we would look at him and be like, wow, that's the guy needs more experience, but he's he's got a you know, really top tier mechanics and so on. Uh, but with you, I think what really interested a lot of people and and kind of pundits and analysts and stuff was that you had really great decision making, just kind of from the get go. Um, you had decision-making kind of beyond your years. And uh, I remember watching um, matches of yours when you'd first, I think either just before you joined, joined that Mouse Wars team or right at the beginning when uh, we, we were casting with Dazed and Dazed was just kind of blown away uh, by your decision-making. And he was like, this guy's going to be one of the best players, definitely like a top 10 to top 20 player. And that's exactly what ended up happening if we go by the HLTV rankings at the very least. And uh, so, so when it comes to, you know, the way that you think about the game, is it sort of a very natural process or do you really study the game a lot? You know, how is it that your decision-making is, is so good as, as, as it is? Um, yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. Um, a lot of people say I'm a very smart player in my, in my decision-making in that sense. I tend to be very rational all the time. Um, I never really try to gamble on anything. Um, I always try to do stuff that I know pays off and... I think in a way, I also, I'm never satisfied with myself. Like, I try to play the game that I can win every situation, basically. I can win every aim duel. Like, I'm never, I wouldn't 
say that um, yeah, I played when we win the match. I wouldn't say that I played good in that game because maybe I had one situation where I could have actually came out on top, but I didn't. And in that sense, I always try to be a perfectionist and improve on that because I feel like I should be able to to basically be better than anyone when it comes down to like the decisions I'm doing, the angles I'm taking. Because that's where I, I think I um you know I should come out on top and that's how you become the best basically. So right from the beginning I really like your answer there because you know you're you're definitely you're just saying that or part of what you're saying is that you're not outcome oriented. You're not thinking about, oh well I got the kill, therefore I must have done everything perfectly. So that's so yeah, there's that ongoing analytical kind of process happening, which is always really good to hear. And you know, when it is there a player that you know you studied yourself, or a player that um, inspired you to innovate the way that you play? I actually think the person who kind of resembles and what I try to do at least is definitely simple because anything he does is kind of calculated. You can see it if you really understand the game. He never really does anything that is flashy, but it becomes flashy at a point where. He's doing these flicks, but he knows he can do them because it just works out for him and he knows he's capable of doing that stuff. So I think Simple is a, a player I really look up to right now since he he puts in the house, he knows where he needs to improve on and he actually actually does it and it works out for him. So of course, you know, one other thing about Simple is that he is an, an Orpa. Is is that something we might see in the future? You know, Rob's picking up the, the Orpa. <laughs> I th I think that's not so relevant, but um, <laughs> you never know. Um, I was actually playing a lot of op in in my FPL days, but um, people saying there that I I don't miss a shot and stuff like that. But yeah, I haven't felt the op for years now, so <laughs> I guess that would be a pretty uh, big process coming out of rust and stuff like that. <laughs> it would be. I'd I'd like to see it, but it's it is an interesting one that you pick. Simple. I wouldn't have expected that necessarily, but the logic does make sense. You know, he's. He does have an, inc I mean, I guess, you know, as you mentioned, like the hours that he puts in is pretty astounding and he has a really incredible, just inherent intuitive sense for the game. And he knows how good he is, which really changes the equations of how good a player or, or bad a player is. I mean, definitely would never recommend that, you know, like uh, an amateur player tries to learn from him, but, but <laughs> um, yeah, he's a really, really interesting one. What do you make of Simple's career, actually, speaking of, of Simple, you know, obviously he's never, you know, He's not had that success at a major with with Navi just yet. You know, it's, I, well, I think the deepest runners was was Liquid at the uh, Cologne in twenty sixteen or whenever it was when he was kind of just subbing in for Liquid. Effectively, it felt like moved over there for a short period, kind of carried them to a semifinals, and that was it. Um, I mean, yeah, his career started out pretty uh, pretty weird in a way. He played for some NA teams like Liquid, but I think if he's he's set to Win a major for sure. Navi is where he belongs, and if he gets the best uh, CIS team around him, then he can do things like which are just unimaginable. I think I still have a lot of respect for him, even though like he didn't have the the best uh, communication skills, I guess. Um, but I think, <laughs> right. but um, I respect him so much because he knows what he's doing, and he puts so much work in into his craft. And he's just good at what he does. 
and he knows it himself. Yeah, it's just kind of inspiring. So do you ever have, like, this is actually going to be a question that I, I ha- kind of ask everybody because I think that it's kind of any, well, any professional player because it's something that I think is extremely relatable to everybody. Um, you know, once you've had an incredible p- performance as a pro, I feel like it's always in your mind that, you know, I should be able to replicate that performance. Even, even though the game has so many variables, it obviously make that kind of difficult from time to time, but you at least know that you're capable of something like that. So do you ever struggle with yourself in terms of feeling like you should be able to play a lot better than you than you are at any given tournament? And if so, if you are struggling, how do you kind of rectify that? Do you put more hours in? What is your process if you feel like you're not making, you're not living up to your own expectations? Uh, to be honest, then I think I'm going through that process right now, what you described. I feel like I'm not really at the level where I should be compared to like, you know, where we ended the year uh, in 2019. Um, I'm not sure if that has to do with how many, how many hours I've played uh, now or if the break had any effect on it. But I feel like I could perform way better because I'm not really fitting the level I played at at the end of 2019. And I'm working like my hardest right now to be ready for Katowice, especially since I feel like that's where we should be ready and that's our biggest goal right now. But um, I'm not sure if there's anything specific to do. I think I just keep doing what I normally do. I wouldn't put any pressure on myself, even though I'm not really satisfied. But I, I just keep on playing. I do the normal, normal thing. What what I feel like. I don't really. I don't ever have like a routine. In that sense, um, I always play how I feel like. If I if I play like, uh, for example, like ten minutes of aimbots, take a break. 20 minutes of aimbots, take a break again, then that's just how I feel like, and I play like that. I'm the kind of person who can sit in bots for like five hours a day and just, you know, keep practicing my aim. Like, I'm not really a person who enjoys playing DM so much. I think it's not so enjoyable, and you basically get the same effect um, from playing bots. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's anything specific to do. I would just say that um, keep doing what I normally do, keep playing as much as I can. I think in eventually something is just going to click. Like I have a way of thinking that if I've spent enough time on the game, I start to feel things on a on a way higher level that you know I actually feel a flick for example, like I'm not really flicking out of just you know random, but I actually feel that that flick was going to land on on the players ahead and I I'm really feeling the game on just another level basically. I understand how the uh, how the enemy team is rotating. I understand my own mechanics way better, and I think it's just eventually it should click. It's kind of it is like really fascinating to me, kind of that whole process of getting to that, just making sure that you're always in that mode where, as you say, like you're just kind of in the A game. You're just every everything is just a reaction. You've done all the practice. You've done all the preparation. You already understand the game. And now it's just this, it's just like a case of just planting yourself in the chair and just letting it happen and going through the the motions in that sense and and getting out of I, I guess like I, I would actually like this phrase a lot just you know getting out of the way of yourself sometimes sometimes we get in the way of ourselves you know we put pressure on ourselves or expectations and stuff like that but it's really hard though it's really hard to actually actually not yeah. get in the way of yourself I was talking to Stiko about this um, recently because uh, he was uh, the last guy 
on my podcast and uh, we were talking about how he was reinventing himself as a player and becoming more of a uh, of a player where he expects to have high level individual performances more carry performances as is his role now as a player with godson he's and you know he's the one guy we didn't actually talk about he's doing really well which is really good to, to hear and he was talking about uh like dialing a, dialing in a lot more to the sports psychology elements of the game and really learning about that and kind of he saw he started to journal so that he can kind of have reference points of if he had a good performance today then he can look back and be like okay what was my mood that day you know what affected me negatively what affected me positively and how did this affect me in the game so it's, it's definitely this very it's very such a deep um area and i i spoke to carrigan about uh you know sports psychologist and and uh you know is that something that you guys are are have been working more with as an aspiration that you'll get more involved with these kinds of things this year or and how interested are you in in that kind of area of performance uh yeah we're we've been working uh with a sports psychologist now for uh, for basically the whole duration of this lineup but it's more to say i think it helps more on a team level than on a personal level, I would say. It kind of it helps bond the team a lot more than you do normally. Like normally, you just go out and eat together, or I don't know, do whatever. But um, you really get to know your teammates once you get to uh, work with the sports psychologist because uh, that person knows what we need to do to feel more united. But personally, I, I'm not sure if. Uh, if it helps so much in CS, but I'm always a kind of a believer that if you put in a lot of hours, then you can basically always be in the zone. You know, people say, yeah, he was in the zone there. He had like three headshots. I think you can always be in the zone. I think simple is a great uh, example for that. And I think it just depends um, how you see the game, how you view the game and how much work you put in in the end but i think the sports psychology part is is really helpful on a team level yeah i definitely think um it's one of the hardest things at least in, in my in my own experience in the past is definitely like trying to work out those uh what's, what's the term just like the um the social dynamics between between each individual and players everyone communicates differently especially on an international team you got you guys are you know playing a, a game where it's, it's got to be super connected and, and dialed in with each other and you're all from these diff very different cultural backgrounds. So that must be quite an interesting challenge. Um, how have you actually found that typically playing with people from, from different cultures? I know you said, you know, for example, Sunny, obviously being Finnish was quite close to your culture, but obviously you're, you know, play you're playing with a lot of people from you know, very different places. Has that ever really been an issue? I don't think it's ever been a big issue, um, but it definitely brings out some kind of arguments or some kind of differences we have. Um, I think now with Vaxik, I think that's the biggest difference we've ever had since, I mean, Turkish people are a lot different in the way they think <laughs> and they, the way they approach the game. You can see it, you can even obviously see it in Vaxik's game, like he's an hyper-aggressive player and he always goes for the chance if there's ever a chance. Um, that's also what we work on a lot right now is that we try to, when we have um, CT retakes, then we try to save more, you know, like... Kind of like one of those rounds, which yeah, you can in theory win, but you're probably not going to, like two v fours and stuff like that. We try to save a lot, and uh, Voxy's personality always comes comes out on that. That guys, there's a chance you can go for this, but um, it doesn't. I mean, yeah, the cultural differences aren't that that big, I would say, in the game, but you can definitely notice it uh, when you when you have like arguments and stuff, since everyone have like different reasons. 
to argue for for anything. Absolutely, and I I do love the fact that you know you talk about Walkstick like that because I you've brought this memory up that I have when I was I don't know if I was casting I think I was actually just watching the game in a green room or something and I remember seeing it was like Dust Two and Walkstick had a CT a CT and he had an AWP and he was on A ramp and and the T side was like running this like set piece onto the site and it's like really you know it's just super crazy flashbangs and smokes and stuff everywhere and and I'm thinking to myself like. It's, it's crazy right now. Voxic's not peaking at all because he's in this spot where on a ramp, like it, looking at that objectively, it's like his his job there is just to be a threat and to provide presence and not to die if he possibly can. But I'm also thinking it's Voxic. He's had like at least three chances to go for a super quick peak. And I'm like, he's not doing it. And, and I'm just looking at it like no one, see, I don't think there's that many people that appreciate how hard this must be for Voxic to not peak it. <laughs> so, because he loves to get in there. So it's, it's um and and that does that is one of the reasons why your team is just so fun to watch because you got so many great personalities and you got that super aggressive orpa like what Counter Strike fan doesn't love that, um but uh, <laughs> um you know moving to, towards uh, this new lineup and some of the difficulties you've 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 had, it's really an interesting uh, team because obviously you know Carrigan came in and Carrigan I think on the outside gets a lot of respect for the results that he's already proven to to be able to get with teams like you know if you put him in a lineup he's going to find a way to make it work this is what everybody is going to be you know thinking about one and so they're going to give him a lot more time than maybe they would give other people Let, let's say complexity right now you know there's lots of pressure on complexity because of all the money that's gone in and all the rest of it but but with Carrigan you know I think people will be very chill because you're, you're expecting him to get there eventually and I think there was some worry that maybe he wasn't going to and you guys went through a really big period of trying to figure it out now, how how difficult was that period? You know, what, what were you guys going through? Because at the end of it, too, it seemed like when things did work, it was a surprising change that kind of triggered things to kind of actually start working in in the you know famously swapping Chris J with Frozen in terms of the lurk and kind of entry fragging situation. So, how how was that whole kind of journey over the months for you guys? If you look at the journey from the outside perspective, then I think. It was easy to say that, yeah, we've become pretty stale and we're not really reaching any new heights. But I, th I think it like inside the team, it felt like we were we were improving all the time. We were playing better in practice. We were playing better in tournaments, even though we went out. A lot of the times, our like tough losses were against Liquid, who were on fire at the time. We played against Vitality a lot of the times when they were very strong i think overall it was tough if you look at from like the outside perspective but inside the team we felt pretty good actually like after the major that's probably the toughest part when we didn't reach um top eight since we all worked our asses off for that and yeah not reaching it was just a big blow everyone wanted to get there but after that i think we all still saw improvements and no one really gave up obviously and Carrigan has this priceless experience. Obviously, that's he can basically make the situation always work, and I think that's helped helped us out a lot. And just you know, we kept believing in each other, in ourselves. We always tried to do our best, and I think we never gave up. Basically, and um, I think that role change in the end was something. That helped us out a lot also um obviously if you create a new team then uh, you cannot put all of the players in in their best spots in their roles like you can't expect everyone to be satisfied with what they have 
so it made sense for us to do that in the end and it paid off and yeah we haven't uh, really went or we've only gone uphill since then it's it's got to feel really encouraging to have somebody like Carrigan at the helm. Um, again, as you mentioned, like knowing that you can trust him to kind of make things work, and he seems to be such a a, a great leader for when let's say you're in a tournament. And again, this is my t- obviously I don't, I've never played under him, so I can't you know say with complete certainty. But from the outside perspective, it looks like it's he's a great leader when things are not going well in a game because maybe that other team prepared really well against you. And maybe the game plan that you had going into the matchup isn't actually going to work out to actually get you the win. It seems like Carrigan's really good in those positions at actually bringing something up on the fly to kind of address these issues and to flip the script and allow you guys to maybe come out with the win. There's been some kind of key results like that. And when I spoke to him on the podcast, he was talking about that. I think I think he was talking about that. There was like a specific matchup he brought up against Astralis on Dust2, I think, where he was walking me through some of the changes that he made to kind of make a game like that work. That's going to give you guys a lot of confidence. What What is the experience like playing under him as opposed to previous leaders uh, that you've played with in the past? Uh, well, in the past, you can only say Chris J, I guess. Um, but I think <laughs> if you talk about if I was talking about Chris J now, then um, Chris was never really meant to be the leader. He was kind of forced into the role since we didn't have a better option. We had an interesting period also in the old Mouseports roster where uh, Sonny actually took over the the calling role for for a small small period. I mean, I, ironically, that period was the face it major, where we went 0-3. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we felt like that was, that was a better option back then because we started to uh, reach, or we started to hit like a brick wall and we couldn't really progress, so we changed the color. But um, obviously, I think... Comparing Carrigan to anyone else who I've played under is just not even possible in that way because he's just so good at what he does and he really is like is like a dedicated in-game leader. Like you cannot ask for for anyone better, basically. Like he's the best of the best. Yeah, I have to say, you know, like my my respect for him only only seems to grow. And you know, I had <laughs> when I actually recorded the podcast with him, we were kind of stuck in Ukraine for a days. It's just uh, myself and him, so we we had a uh, you know we traveled together and and, ch- and chatted here and there. And and uh, the the guy is is very serious about building an incredibly impressive uh, and maybe unique legacy as an in-game leader. So it's it's very refreshing to see how completely driven he is to achieving the absolute best results. And so. I, you know, one of the, someone actually asked me recently on my on my stream, uh, you know, what is, what is um, a team you're most looking forward to in 2020? And the answer I had was Mouse Sports. And I think it's part in partly, uh, it's partly due to the fact that uh, I think you guys have have a really complete team in terms of roles and 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 uh, and the the spread of experience. Like you know, you've got people like Chris J and Carrigan, and and now yourself as well. You know, more veteran players at the top level, bringing up extremely talented players uh, who have not quite got the same experience but are equally um, as talented at the game so and it just seems like it's going to do great things this year and you've already started things off very well um you guys had the the win at the ice challenge against navi and you know as you know we can actually quickly talk about that you know because simple is a player you respect a lot you know when you're going into into games against navi right now you know what are you, you know what are you guys thinking about uh, well, you always never really try to think about who you play against. You just uh, you just go off 
on what you prepared and how the enemy team plays without you know knowing the names basically. Obviously, going into a tough match like playing against Navi, we we prepare a lot and we know what basically every single player does in a way that you know whatever works out for them. We try to we try to have an answer for that and we try to find gaps and stuff like that. But yeah, you never really try to think about the names. I think that's like a general rule in any any professional sport. Don't only really think about the names and you give your best no matter what. But to talk about the tournament, and then I think uh, we had a really rough start to the year because when we went into the tournament, we were really scared since our practice has had been really bad in that period of time before the tournament. Um, I think if we went out of the tournament prior, before the playoffs, that would have really hurt the team because um, our confidence levels weren't so high after we came out of the break. We weren't hitting any shots in practice and we got wrecked a lot and like the quality of the practice was pretty bad. It didn't feel like we played good at all, basically. Like We just played to play and we weren't really improving on anything. But in the end, I'm glad we won it. Like, I think we're still like a way different team when we show up on land than we are on practice. Like the land environment, I think, sparks all of us in some way that helps us for the better. Um, it was really tough also, the tournaments. We had some matches against the Mad Lions, um, which were really close. And I think if we lost those matches, then yeah, it would have been terrible. But in the end, we won and. I'm glad we did that because I think things could have been very south. It it does feel like there is this level of breathing room that you kind of seem to get when you have the better performances. It kind of buys you some time to not kind of worry. And, and it's interesting because because it's uh, when when I'm thinking about players who are slumping or teams that are slumping, it, it does seem to be the case that it's even if you're not outcome oriented, even if you can you can say that you know we actually played pretty well. We did genu genuinely get pretty unlucky. We're going to do better at the next one. It it seems like it doesn't matter how rational you are. It's still going to really hurt. Like emotionally, it's really going to hurt the confidence. And I don't know if you're. Would you? Are you a player that you where you would say that you've experienced a slump? I don't think I recall you slumping ever. Is has that ever really happened for you? Um. Yeah, I wouldn't really say like I've I've really slumped, but I think. I'm not sure you can probably call it something else. Like, you know, I'm, I've been getting really stale sometimes. Like, you know, I've I've had those moments where I just play to play and I don't feel like I'm playing good at all. And like, yeah, like things are going really bad. But I don't feel like I've ever been like in a long period of, of a slump. But I've definitely had those moments, even though if it, if it doesn't show in like in the stats or in the game, I definitely feel sometimes like I'm not playing to my to my best uh, capabilities. Do you ever have that feeling kind of in the middle of a game whilst you're playing? You're like, oh shit, I'm like actually not hitting some of the shots. I'm not feeling as confident. I think it comes before the game since obviously you're going to know you're going to know where the level where you're at before the game. If you're playing bad in general, then I think you're obviously going to play bad in the game also. Even though, Even if you get like, let's say 30 kills, but you still feel like you played bad since that game might have just been lucky and like you didn't really think about all of the frags you're getting you just happen to be in the right spots and stuff like that but if you play good then you can make yourself be in the right spots and 
just get those kills like you sh- you should do when you're playing good. But if I think if you're in a slump, then you can have a good game still. In that sense, that you just happen to be lucky, I guess. Well, in, in terms of uh, you know your your start to the year, I think um, it's really interesting because for me personally, because there's when we look at a team that does well, there's always there's always going to be breaks, and and it's so common that teams will just not be the same out of a break, um, and partially it's because they because the break you know they, as you, you know as you were talking about like there wasn't much as much practice perhaps, or the practice went pretty badly during a period where they weren't going to tournaments. It's this idea of of what they call in the fighting world uh, ring rust, where you just you just get that rustiness to actually playing at the at the tournaments and in the arena at the lands, and and so I was a little, a little bit worried for you know for you guys to see if that would be the case, and so I'm glad that you kind of righted the ship and kind of going into Katowice, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how well you do. Um, right, obviously it's seven days out right now as of as of the moment we're recording this, and you guys are are boot camping um, at the moment. How would you say the preparation is going so far for for that tournament? Well, yeah, we're trying our best here. We've we've been having some issues, like not not on a game level, not on a team level. We've just been having uh, a few health issues, I guess. Um, We've been having to cancel a few practices and play a bit less because of that as a team. But everyone everyone is trying to keep up the individual level and play as much as we can. I feel like We've got into better shape than we were at at the ice challenge and the practice we had prior to that. We've been really stepping up and talking about these issues we had um, before the ice challenge, since the the quality of how we played there was really bad, and we've been really vocal about these things, and we've been trying to step it up here in the boot camp. So um, I think we're we're doing our best, and we're putting as much effort in as we can. And we're doing it the right way, since we're being vocal about everything and talking about everything together as a team, if there's an issue. Since that's probably the only reason we can play bad if we have some kind of internal issues. If ZV, obviously we have the performance level in us, we just need to get the level back. And if you have any issues, then talk them through and just warm ourselves up for the tournament. Gotcha. I mean, it's it definitely seems like um, you guys. You know, if you do everything right, and obviously, um, you know, hope hope all the uh, you know nothing's serious with with all the health issues, and that that kind of is you know you guys are all ready uh, to go uh, during the tournament. But it, it does seem like you know if, if you guys are just you know <laughs> nailing everything in terms of your preparation, you're going to have a great time. So I really look forward to to watching you. And and uh, you know, in, in terms of um, this lineup. Are you guys getting uh, to a period now to to maybe the near future where you're going to start thinking about the fact that other teams are going to be more prepared for you? Because you've only recently, in the last you know few months, started to have a lot of success and be a very 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 deadly team lifting trophies. So now it feels like a lot of a lot of teams will be focusing on you. How how will you go about dealing with that? Do you think? Yeah, that's definitely a case to be made. Um, being an international team, I think we're one of the teams that make the most mistakes, but also uh, make the most out of the mistakes that we do. But uh, yeah, since I mean, communication is a really big aspect of playing CS, then we kind of lack that compared to some teams like Astralis, Liquid, whoever um, is uh, from the same uh, nationality. I think teams can really abuse us in that way, but 
obviously in the, in the same sense we try to improve on them and we try to work on stuff like overpeaking and doing stuff on the fly or calling the right setups it's it's pretty hard to sometimes understand what the other player really is saying because there are like language barriers at some points because some things are so specific in CS that's let's say a setup then you really if you play a setup you basically need to know how the setup works prior to the match and you need to talk it through with your teammate doing it on the fly can you know cost a lot of seconds and a lot of stuff can happen in a few seconds in CS so I think communication is a big thing where we kind of lack in terms of comparing to other teams and that's where most of our mistakes I think come from do you feel like that's something that you can kind of make it better over time or you know how do you feel about it um, it can definitely be better over time. Uh, I think it can be more clean because obviously the more matches we play, the more experience we get, and the more the more scenarios we basically play through, and you know we we know how to deal deal with more scenarios as a team. I think the biggest thing that can help us is just talking more about the game with each other, uh, talking through setups, watching other teams play, maybe just spending some time on the server with your teammate. And all these small small stuff can be really impactful in the end of the match. Because if you if you know like let's say a small setup, then you don't need to say ten words, but you just say one word, and that can help a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people can relate to to how like just by playing pugs, just like there's so many clear rounds that are lost because people can't communicate. I'm sure everyone can relate to that. But you know, speaking of of changes as well, and, and and you know how difficult it can be to adjust sometimes, and putting the right players in the right positions. Uh, you know, I was I was talking to uh, Regin actually at some epicenter, I think it was, and he was talking to me about how um, you know they made a, a change for you actually on Mirage, moving you for, as a you know away from being just you know anchoring on the A site and just moving towards stairs and connector, um, and that that was a a change, even though it ended up working out really well. That is something that you know you were at first a bit resistant towards. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Uh yeah, definitely. I mean, if I compare myself to a lot of other players, then I would say I'm less vocal in a way that I'm all I'm always in um in a role where I play alone, so I don't have the best experience in, in um in setting up a round or in you know setting up a play. Because in in, a, in Mirage Connector, you basically control how you play mid as a CT. And that's something I've learned now over the time. But yeah, it's just, it's just like a new change for me. And it's something I've never done in my career before. Because when we changed the roster, we got the new players, Carrigan, Moxie, and Frozen. Basically, I, had, I didn't have a, a single role change. All my roles stayed the same. So changing my role in Mirage, that was basically a first for me. And... It just made more sense, I think, on a team level also, because obviously most people say I'm a very smart player and I agree. And I think in Connector, if you compare it to playing on the A side, then you don't have much space on A. You don't have much room to work with. And you know, if the T's execute, then you probably get one kill. If, uh, if you play good, you can get out of it. If not, then you basically get one kill and get refragged. And there's not much space to do on A. So that's why. We kind of moved moved me to a connector where I have more room. I control more of the pace of the game, and I can propose my ideas. I guess. 
Are there any other changes uh, that you're now thinking of, given that you know that's the first, you know that's the first one that you changed. It went well. Is there anything else uh, across the the whole map, Paul, where you're, you know you guys have been thinking about you know changing things up for you as a player? Or there have been some, which actually we're working on, but obviously, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm gonna talk about them right now oh, since good, yeah. uh, they're, they're gonna be a surprise for some of the teams for sure. So it's gonna be uh, something that's eventually gonna be seen. No, I totally get it. It's all good. So how how is uh, the the impact being from Rajan? He's he's uh, delightful to talk to, um, but obviously he's been working with you guys for for some time now. And you know, in in terms of his contributions and other supporting members of the team, uh, you know, who who do you feel are most impactful as to what they bring directly to the you know for the results of Counter Strike and Mouse Sports? I'm talking about Rajan, then he is uh, very. Very methodical coach. He's always neutral in a way that he always tries to improve the team. Like if he if he says if he says something like that the players shouldn't do, then at least he has his own reasons and it's only for improvement. It's not like okay, you made an overpeak, you shouldn't do this anymore and like you played bad or whatever. He's he doesn't mean it like that, but he always takes things to see for improvement. But yeah, I think in terms of like where's the most impact it's still like Carrigan since he brings the most stuff on the table for this team and then like Regin is kind of his backup. If there's any hole in the plan or anything, then uh, he will see those things and Regin is just the guy who basically is basically like the... A second pair of eyes for Carrigan, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. No, it to- totally makes sense. Because sometimes, sometimes you're, you're so blinded as the guy in control. So it's good to have that second pair of eyes for sure. No, he's, he's, he definitely seems to be doing a, a great job, at least from, from when I've spoken to him and, and the stuff I've seen from the outside. So it seems like you've got a really good unit and, uh, you know, you, you described yourself just now again, and I described you this way too, uh, you know, as a, as a smart player, this seems to be, you know, one of the kind of dominant aspects of who, of what your character is as a CSGO player. And what would you say are perhaps some of the biggest outside influences that have contributed to you being a great CS player, you know, whether that's, you know, a book you've read or a friend you've, you, you know, you have, or, you know, whatever it might be, something that's, that's helped you in, you know, outside of CS, but helps your CS game a lot. I've grown up very independent and I think that's, that's the biggest tool I have. I always try to be responsible. Um, I think in CS, if you're a professional, you should always live up to your name and Give your best showing in whatever you do. So in that way, I think independence helps me a lot. I'm, I'm grown up very independent. Of a lot of kids, I guess, get help from their parents when they go to school and stuff like that. But I, I never had that. Um, I always did most of my stuff on my own. And when it comes to like thanks CS, it was actually a pretty funny story. Um, when I first went to uh, went to face its office and all of that thing happened, where I got cheating accusations. I received like the plane tickets to to London to the, to face it um, headquarters there to play there, and I told my mom like, yeah, I'm going there. Like it's gonna be fun. I'm gonna play for for face it, and you know, just people are saying I'm talented, so I'm gonna go there. And my mother was like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. But you know, when it when it actually comes to the date when the flight is due, 
then my my mom actually realizes that yeah okay this is actually happening and she had no <laughs> idea what's what's going on but in the end we we worked it out my mother was very surprised since i never you know be i was never vocal about these things like she was saying that um yeah you never told us that you had this thing going and you're so good at this game um like they never basically knew what i was really doing so in that sense i've been very independent and i've grown up I've just grown up to handle things on my own and make the most out of it. <laughs> it's, um, it's a pretty scary prospect that maybe she, she could have tried to like deny you on the day, but um, it did work out. And, you know, you're in that sense, in, in, the, in many senses, you know, that's you know, part of you know, why your, your story is, is pretty inspirational. And, you know, you, you know, you share on a daily basis your, your gameplay, whether it be at a tournament on your, or on your stream. Um, but at the the face at London Major, you know, you actually shared some of your backstory, having the documentary team come in and so on. You know, what was it like, like sharing that, or the like, you know, the very personal details that a lot of people maybe wouldn't want, you know, to be out there in the in the public. You know, what what was what went into you know accepting this, and and how was that experience for you? Um, I mean, I was actually really happy when I got approached by the by the camera team and by face it to do this thing i instantly realized that there's gonna be like a story to to look up for and people are gonna be inspired by it maybe because obviously i don't think there's still ever been a player who has done a rise like me like even even zaibu has played in some teams no one has really come out of out of fpl without a background i think everyone had some kind of background until me and I think that's just very inspirational for a lot of people. And I, mean, I instantly knew that this this is a must-do thing, and I was happy to do it. And initially, when you were kind of just grinding FPL, and and you know, for those people, just a very short version is that you know, Rob here was grinding on Face It and making making that FPL money, and a lot of people uh, because he he ris- he'd risen so quickly thought that he was cheating effectively and so there was a lot of a lot of people you know creating these cheating accusations and then face it offered to to fly him over to to the hq to, to get him you know on the stream in a different location where you know cheating could possibly take place to kind of uh, make sure that that you know all of those accusations were just put to put to rest immediately so and, and obviously that's like a really huge uh, point just to kind of like get that legitimacy out there and actually to get you on the ground, because there's so many people that are really good, but they, they, they you know, there's they used to be this term of people that would, you know, dodge lands basically, or who would be bad, you know, on on land and so on and so forth. But you kind of proved pretty much everybody wrong, and and this was obviously like a good bit of promo for Face It at the same time. But ultimately, it is an incredible story, and not many people get that opportunity, and you could never have foreseen that opportunity coming to you. So, what what was the kind of did you have the goal to play pro? Uh, you know, with all of the FPL grinding, or was it just like I can make some money doing this, and I love playing CS, so I'm going to do this? How were you thinking about it back then? Uh, it's actually pretty weird and funny. Um, when I when I think about it, then the way I see it sometimes is that I was kind of forced to go pro because if I have cheating accusations and I don't live up to my name, then I kind of have no more chances to do anything. But if I prove myself, which I did, and if I if I go in, into a team, then basically that's gonna be my future for going forward. So in that way, I I sometimes think that wow, I was actually being forced to go pro because I was 
getting cheating accusations. But um, I think I've always uh, wanted to be a pro player. I looked up to uh, nothing, uh, Jordan Gilbert, a lot um, when I was a kid. He's a uh, track movie. has got a lot of views, and I was I was one of one of the guys who was watching them. And I, I was thinking, like, wow, it must be must be so cool to be this kid who's like beating all these old guys on land and stuff like that. That was really a really big thing for me. But yeah, I'm I'm very happy to do this as a job. I don't think there's anything else I would do. I was still going to school, obviously, for the first year of uh, mouse sports I was in, and like. I had no idea what I wanted to do, and I'm I'm glad I had I have an opportunity like this because I I would have no idea where I would end up if it wasn't for this. Pretty awesome that you ended up getting to actually actually compete with nothing. Then that's actually such a sick story. Um, given that you look you looked up to him as as and and you know how was that you know whole process for you? Because uh, that must have been that must have been kind of magical. Because that was also a magical. Uh, tournament for Mouse Sports, you guys made it to the finals, and on top of that, you know, nothing played amazingly, which for him at that time was really important too, because his last kind of period at Cloud Nine was kind of it was it was not great, and it wasn't really because of him per se. He was he was a great player, but what was happening within the team wasn't that very good, and it just wasn't working out. So for me, when I was looking at Nothing Story, I'm like, oh, it's so cool that he gets to just show that he is still like an incredible player and can still play at the top level. But then there's this other layer to the story whereby, you know, you're getting to play with someone you looked up to where you have this kind of uh, meteoric rise as a youngster, much like he did. So that's that's so cool. How was that? It was surreal. When we first were thinking about, about the stand-ins for the tournament and nothing was like the first one to come to mind for me. And I mean, everyone was fine with it and it it paid out very big in the end. I was quite sad. We had like a we had like a two interview where uh, they asked me very personal questions about Jordan, and I couldn't really answer them. But I'm I'm still very happy. Um, I got to play with him. It's just so surreal. Like ten years ago, I would watch his drag movies, and I would I was wishing like to be him basically, and then you know just play next to him on a land in the future, ten years after. That's just such a surreal feeling. Did you um, did you learn anything from him whilst you were playing with him during that small per- time uh, time period? I didn't really learn anything specific, but the way he is and the way he talks, it, it just comes to you at a very chill, and it, it's very um, how do you say it? Um, very genuine. He's a very genuine person in that way. He he always wants the best for you, and he's always he's always talking talking the tru- truth. So, like, I think the way he represents himself online is basically basically the exact same he is in person. Yeah, I, I have to. Yeah, uh, Jordan is someone that's um, I'm pretty good friends with, and he is he is just one he is one of the best people in in terms of how genuine he is. I could definitely echo that sentiment. I think um, he's he's probably one of the best role models. I think um, for for players. For, uh, for sure, still to this day, you know, as as he was for you ten years ago, I think that still remains true today. And uh, so it's it's good to see that he's still kind of, even though he's not on the team, he's still streaming and teaching people about Counter Strike, which is really cool. Um, who has been uh, as influential? Has there been anybody else that's been as influential as nothing uh, for you as a as a player, as an aspiring professional, and as a current professional? 
Um, no, I never really looked up to anyone in particular. I always just played the game for my own enjoyment, and I, I didn't, to be honest, and um, I didn't even know there's like a professional scene still in CS since I always thought um, when 1.6 uh, died, then uh, the the professional scene basically went with it. I think it was until like 2014 I knew that CS:GO was a thing, and I was very happy to hear about that. And I just started to play again since I really enjoyed the days back in 1.6 when I was a kid and I was playing with my friends. And I can I could do that again in CS:GO, and I just played for fun and tried to become better and just do it for my own kind of. I never really looked up to anyone. Do you have any? Um, are you uh, big into reading or anything like that, or? Uh no, <laughs> I don't really read much. Um, to touch on like maybe on that note, um, I'm a very uh, how to say it. In school, I'm basically one of the so to say smartest students. Also, I was going to like stuff like you know math contest, uh, chemistry, physics contest, like you know all all kinds of. I'm not sure what you call these subjects, but um, sciences. Yeah, yeah, science, science stuff, whatever. <laughs> I'm always like very, uh, very keen on those things, and I think that's why also I think so rationally, and like my way of uh, thinking just comes from that. Do you think that these days? I mean, if we take the context that you know that we've just laid out, uh, you know, whereby you didn't even know there was a pro zine, you were kind of forced to go pro, <laughs> like all these these situations, which are just like you know, those would be you know definitely. I, I mean, I know people that are really talented and they're struggling so much to try like to get onto even a semi-pro team it seems to be so difficult to get someone to give you a chance um do you think it's harder it's getting harder and harder to come up especially given this let's say the situation now where you know esl has you know cut the amount of teams that can qualify for uh for in a pro league and everything like that is it harder to come up than it used to be i think it's it's always been hard I think the odds for having an opportunity like mine is just astronomical. Like, you really have to be lucky to get a like, good opportunity. I think there's definitely people who are better than me out there, but they just haven't got the opportunity yet. Like, the, there's so many good players nowadays, but like the opportunity is just very, very small. Like, it's just hard to give everyone a chance, and you know, it's just. That that's just how it is, but I mean, obviously, things can evolve in the future and get to a much way higher level, like it is in some sports, like uh, like in football clubs, people scout um, players and they they progress from from team A to team B or however that is. And I think opportunity is a very big factor, and when it comes to being pro in CS. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the kind of weird things about it right now is just that there doesn't seem to be enough of that. There's not enough of an infrastructure. It feels like to really meet the some of the well, the amount of talent that is out there, and maybe that's something that will grow as as the economics get better. Maybe it is just a case of economics because we don't have these academy teams and we don't have people you know actively trying to scout for them. And it's and if you, most people are, are trying to come up be, through FPL like you did or like through, you know, through pugging and you know, people aren't playing as much team Counter-Strike in, in, their, you know, in their approach to do so, 
what, what, what is your opinion in terms of what do you think the best way is to maybe get that opportunity or is it just, you just got to get lucky ultimately? I'm not sure. I don't know if I have a, a good idea for this. Like I haven't really gone through the, the, the sort of say traditional way myself. So I think it's obviously way easier for people to, you know, just go from zero to hero like I did. But if you really want to become pro, pro then I think um, going from a team to team uh, to a higher level each time is, is the safest way to do that. But I think if if you want it to be like a career choice, then maybe in the far future, because obviously it's not sustainable to play in a, in a lower tier team currently. And I think when it comes to stuff like that, then anyone who who would like to go pro, then they should have like a second backup plan. Like like basically like I did. Um obviously I went to I still went to school when I when I first joined Mouseforce and it was actually until the face it major that I decided that okay now now it's time to to leave school because I see that this has become my career path and I see that this is basically my future and I've had like enough of valuation in that sense that's, that I can finally pursue this full-time. I think everyone just, just have a second choice and if they would like to go pro, then just work their hardest and take every opportunity they have. Yeah, amen to that. Um, speaking of yourself as a player, just very quickly, I, I don't, don't know that I asked you this question earlier, but what has been your single biggest struggle, would you say, so far to date? In terms of being, you know, as a as a professional player, what was the hardest thing you've had to deal with? Um, I'm not sure if there's anything sentimental. I never really have any like distractions when it comes to playing, other than like the tournament itself or how the where where you're playing or or so on. I have a lot of issues with um with smaller things like you know how how high a table is or how low you're sitting or you know, stuff like this that I think impacts the way you play a lot. I saw, um, what's, what's the guy's name, uh, Rambo? He's making some of those FPS tutorials and he was making like an FPS uh, uh, tutorial where he talks about why your aim is inconsistent and stuff like that. And he talks a lot about how these small things impact the way you aim, the way you play, like sitting in a different position every time is obviously going to change the way you play, the way you hit shots. And I think I've been paying attention to that a lot. And I think that's the biggest thing that bothers me when I play tournaments because when it comes down to the different tournaments and every tournament has their own table, their own chair, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, some of the tournaments like ESL actually have it nailed down because they have they have the height adjustable tables and you can kind of get it the same every time. And there's no change. But a lot of the times it's not possible, and I think I struggle a lot in in just feeling good in game because I feel like, yeah, like I've prepared a lot and I've put the hours in, but if I'm not feeling good the way, like I'm physically sitting, the way the, the how high the table is, then that's going to affect my game, and I think that about that a lot sometimes. Does it keep you awake at night? <laughs> <laughs> and 
Not really, no. Um, <laughs> it's only when it, when it when it comes down to the match because yeah. I kind of feel sad that I'm not comfortable, and it's such a small thing. No, I, honestly, I totally get it. It's, it. It makes. I mean, I understand. I mean, if you've if you've ever played at LAN, like, and you sit down and you're like, "Holy shit, this feels a lot different." That's a horrible thing sometimes as well because it plants this seed in your minds too, which could make the problems worse in terms of your performance. Where you start to think, "Oh, should I miss this shot?" And then you're now you're thinking the reason is specifically because of how you're sitting, and maybe sure it is to a certain extent. But then you start obsessing over it, and that's at least been my that's been my personal response in, in in the in the past, and it's not a good feeling. So, and it's it can I mean there there are players like I, there's a StarCraft Brutal player you know, um, for those who know that scene called Flash who popularized bringing um, in his you know along with his mouse and his mouse pad and keyboard and everything he'd also bring a ruler to measure the distances because he had every single distance me- uh, like memorize the distance of himself to his monitor his his mouse pad to his keyboard and everything else so there you know there are people that take it really seriously and it's it's your living too it's your livelihood it's it's your it's your career it's your identity it's, it's your performance at the end of the day is is what is going to make you feel good or bad about yourself so i, I definitely get it <laughs> it definitely makes sense yeah it should be like that i feel like you know i think like your table or the chair you're sitting is just like another person of, um a customizable thing like your mouse pad or the mouse you're using like it's very personal and it should be like however a person feels like it should be yeah have you ever had issues with um like you know in a your mouse breaking at LAN or something like that or, or some kind of something like that or not being able to like maybe spill a drink on your mouse pad you can't get a new one um you have to use something else like has, has something like that ever happened to you no not really just just walk um, sick <laughs> I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to talk about that yeah, too much. Well, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I I always try to be responsible. As I said, I'm very independent. I always carry a, a backup mouse with me. Um, I try to be ready for for any scenario. So uh, yeah, make sure, to make sure that that doesn't happen. Awesome. Well, I actually don't think I have any more uh, questions for you, Mister Mister Robs. So. I will take this opportunity to, to close out the podcast. You know, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me. And uh, you know, I wish you the, the best of luck at Kedavitcha. I can't wait to, to watch your matches. Yes, thank you very much. It was, it's been fun talking to you. All right, cheers. See ya.